You're listening, listening to, to Bible, Bible Plus. Bible Plus from Seesaw. Bible Plus is a podcast featuring short, daily discussions of every chapter in the New Testament. Bible Plus is designed to increase Bible reading, understanding, and enjoyment. Get more out of the Bible. Hey guys, we're on to Acts chapter 21 today. And this chapter breaks down into two clear halves, and that is Paul on his way to Jerusalem and the events that transpire in Jerusalem once Paul arrives. So the book of Acts, back starting in chapter 19, verse 21, has Jerusalem in view. So ever since Acts 19, 21, Paul is looking to Jerusalem and the rest of the book of Acts, in a sense, um, zooms in and narrows in and focuses on on that uh, development because it it changes Paul's life and ultimately it changes uh, the history of the church because of what what happens. So Acts 19.21 says, Paul's in Ephesus and it says, when these things were fulfilled, Paul purposed in his spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem saying, after I've been there, I must see Rome. So Paul's in Ephesus He's looking back to the east, to Jerusalem, and then he's looking beyond the Mediterranean Sea to um, to Rome. Um, and, and then when he writes the book of Romans, he says once he goes to Rome, he wants to go to Spain. So Paul is kind of right in the middle of his busy ministry here, looking back to Jerusalem and then looking out beyond to what he thought was the uttermost parts of the earth, Rome, the capital, obviously, of the empire, and then beyond Rome to Spain, the edges of the known world. So from this from this verse, 1921, the rest of the book of Acts zooms in and, and fo- the, the focus narrows on Paul's experience in Jerusalem and the repercussions uh, and, and what plays out because of that. So let's look at this, let's look at this chapter in these two halves and see what lessons we can draw for today. So the first half is Paul's travelogue uh, to Rome, uh, to Jerusalem, and there's a key lesson we can learn here. So let me read verse 4, 11, and 12 of chapter 21. It says, when we had sought out the disciples, we remained there seven days. These told Paul through the Spirit not to set foot in Jerusalem. And then 11 and 12, Agabus comes and takes Paul's belt and ties up his feet and hands and says, thus says the Holy Spirit, in this way, will the Jews in Jerusalem bind the man whose belt this is and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard these things, both we and those in that place entreated him not to go up to Jerusalem. So <clears throat> there is a clear speaking here from the body of Christ uh, in various members um, telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem in, in very clear terms. Now, Paul has had a sense of foreboding in his spirit that he mentions in the last chapter, chapter 20, that the spirit himself is testifying to Paul directly not to go to Jerusalem. Or I guess maybe we could more specifically say that if he goes, that bad things await, bonds and afflictions await him. But in this chapter, the spirit prompts the members of the body to tell Paul not to go to Jerusalem. And Paul uh, ignores these these warnings and these speakings uh, of the Spirit through the members of the body, and he goes to Jerusalem. And we'll see what happens in the second half of this chapter and beyond. But the point we can take from this for us today is 
we need to listen to and honor the speaking of the Spirit through the other members of the body of Christ. Oftentimes, we have a sense from the Spirit, and yet we ignore it. And so, when when that happens, the Lord often uh, raises up uh, other members in the body of Christ we know and are connected to, and He speaks that same word through us. Now, if we had listened to the Lord, that might not have happened, but because we often ignore our own inward sense from the Lord, we need to take the fellowship of the members of the body of Christ as the speaking of the head. And so this is a great lesson for us to learn to listen to the uh, fellowship and speaking of the members of the body to us regarding our decisions and the directions of our life. The Lord can save us a lot of heartache uh, and, and troubles if we just listen to the fellowship of the body. Um, so that's that's the big lesson for this first part. Paul should have listened to those speakings um, and honored the uh, the feeling of, of the other members of the body of Christ. Okay, but he doesn't, and he goes to Jerusalem, and basically everything blows up, and, and that's what we're going to be looking at for the rest of this book. But the the second half of this chapter is really, really uh, interesting and also troubling. Um, and now it takes a real fine discernment to uh, kind of unpack all that's going on and all the implications of what's being said in the second half of this chapter. But essentially, Paul gets to Jerusalem, meets with James, the, um, <clears throat> the leading elder uh, there in Jerusalem. And what unfolds is Rumors have 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 uh, been circulating that Paul is teaching apostasy from Moses. That's what verse twenty one says, and James points out in verse twenty how many thousands have believed. And now here's a little red flag, and all are zealous for the law. So uh, we we alluded to this uh, issue back in chapter fifteen, but the book of Acts is struggling and, and grappling with this this transfer, this dispensational change that God has. Uh, enacted through the personal work of Jesus Christ, in which Christ fulfills the law and replaces the ceremonial law with his person and work. And now believers are not under the law, not required to keep the law uh, in its ceremonial aspects. Of course, the moral law uh, remains um, and has been even uplifted. But Christians don't have to become Jews to become good Christians, in a sense. Um, the law is over, and yet here are thousands of believers zealous for the very thing that Jesus uh, replaced and removed um, and replaced it with himself. And so, th- that's that's the situation Paul meets in Jerusalem. Thousands of believers zealous for the law. Uh, that should be a, a little bit of a red flag for us. Now, historically, it, I'm sure it's a confusing time. But we have to remember at this point that by Acts 21, Paul has already written a number of letters, including both Galatians and Romans, both of which deal explicitly with the question of the believers, the New Testament believers' relationship to the Old Testament law. And both of those books, Galatians and Romans, deal a death blow to the law and the keeping of the law and the practice of the law. Um, So the fact that Thousands of believers are zealous for the law, and Paul has written in 
the clearest uh, language um, in these in these letters, um, removing what he calls the yoke of slavery that entangles us, um, and the 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 ineffectiveness of the law and the impossibility to keep the law. And in Romans, Paul Paul says we've been discharged from the law. We're dead to law. We're no longer under the law. In chapter 10, he says, Christ is the end of the law. And right before that, he said in chapter 10 of Romans that the Jews were zealous for the law, but wrongly, and they sought to establish their own righteousness, not knowing that Christ is the end of the law. And in chapter 8, he says that the righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled in us who walk in spirit. And so, Paul in Galatians or Romans has laid bare the reality that in Christ and through Christ, the law is done away with. Believers are not under law, not obligated to keep the law in any sense in the ceremonial regards. Um, And the moral requirements of the law are not fulfilled by our self-effort, but by the spirit in us through grace. So Christ replaces the law and we keep the law in its moral requirements through our union with Christ and the enjoyment of grace and the power of the Spirit. So that's what we should be zealous for. We should be zealous for Christ. We should be zealous for the experience of Christ so that the righteous requirements that do remain in the moral aspects of the law can be fulfilled, not by self-effort, but through the supply of grace that comes in our union with Christ and the powerful supply of the Spirit. Okay, but that was not being promoted here in Acts 21. And so the the suggestion is that Paul joins a group of uh, people taking a Nazarite vow. This is verse 24, 23 and 24. And it's interesting that the rationale is if you do this, everyone will know that there is nothing to the things that you've that they have been informed of concerning you, but that you yourself keep the law, keep the law. So that is, that's a problem. That, that suggestion, that the rationale behind the suggestion that there's nothing to worry about, about Paul. There's nothing to the things that you've heard, but Paul also keeps the law. That, that goes against what Paul has written in Galatians, Romans. Yet he goes through with it. Now, the huge problem here is not just that he's taking a vow, um, but at the end of this Nazarite vow, if you read Numbers chapter 6, you see that at the end of these seven days of purification, they offered the sin offering for the people taking the vow. Now, that's a huge problem because Paul has told us that there's only one sacrifice for sin that 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 remains today, and that is the sacrifice of Christ. Uh, Christ has offered his own body as a sacrifice for sin and has replaced all the Old Testament sacrifices. Um, so the book of Hebrews also deals explicitly with this. If you read Hebrews chapter 10 and the chapters around that, it says, Christ has taken away the first sacrifices that he may establish himself as the one unique sacrifice for sin. And so offering a sacrifice for sin by slaughtering a, a goat or a bull is a is an insult. It is an insult as in the language of the book of Hebrews to the personal work of Christ, because it's saying that Christ's sacrifice is somehow insufficient and something else and something more is needed. And so that is the huge problem here in the second half of this book, that Paul agrees to 
do this vow, pay for it, and what he's what he would be supporting there is a a a goat or bull sacrifice for sin. Um, so the Lord does not allow that, um, but that's that's the mixture and the problem and the lack of clarity here that is so troubling um, that I think Paul wanted to come back and try to address. But he gets here and the whole thing blows up because right at the end, right on the last day before they offer the sin offering, um, in verse 28, people spot Paul, they cry out, there's an uproar and there's a riot and they drag Paul out, shut the door and never offer that sacrifice. And then the Romans step in, the Roman uh, commanders and Paul's arrested and that, uh, that sets us up for the rest of the book, the narrative development of, of what comes out of this, um, this, uh, this event in Jerusalem. Paul's arrested, he appeals to Caesar, and he's imprisoned at the end of the book. But the Lord sovereignly uses that to redirect Paul's focus and efforts from outward activity to writing down the revelations he's received. And then we get the books, Ephesians, um, Colossians, um, Philemon, we get the Timothys, we get all that revelation that Paul said, uh, his scene recorded and passed on to us today. So that is Acts 21 on the way to Jerusalem and in Jerusalem. We need to listen to the feeling of the members of the body of Christ. The spirit speaks through them and we need to be crystal clear about God's New Testament uh, revelation and economy and the person and work of Christ, and that we are not under the law and no longer obligated to keep any of the ceremonial aspects of the law, but all of that has been replaced by Christ, and he replaces the sacrifices, and he calls us into union with him, and it's in that union that we fulfill any remaining um moral requirements of the law. So that's Acts chapter 21. It's a pivotal pivotal chapter, and it sets us up for the rest of the book. Hope you enjoyed that.